Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, as we take a few moments in silence, the very rare times we get in this busy and loud world, we sense that you are near, you are near to us. Your word says, where can we go that you are not? Lord, you are everywhere, at the highest mountain and the depth of the sea. Lord, you are with us always. Your spirit is working in us and through us. Lord, as we come to your word again, I pray that you would bring humility to our hearts. As we are a pride people, a proud people, and Lord, we have pulled ourselves, and we know that we need daily emptying of ourselves in order to look up and see that you are the God of all things. Lord, as we unpack once again your word and, and look at the topic of work and the way you have designed us for work, Lord, will we look carefully at how we walk, as your word has called us to do over and over again, and align our life with the way, with the new life that you have changed us to be, that we would bring glory to your name. In each aspect of our life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5:16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now the flesh is what we see, right? The flesh is everything about what we're looking at. It is our human body, it's the clothes we wear, it's the jobs we work. And it's often that we will make the judgments upon people we meet by their flesh. Even when we first meet a person, we start asking the simple question, what do you do? What do you do with yourself? Or what work do you do? Which instantly helps us understand, well, did this person study? Did they do an apprenticeship? Where is this person at? We instantly want to understand from a fleshless perspective, who this person is. But as Christians, the flesh has little value anymore. 
We don't regard anyone according to the flesh, it says. 2 Corinthians 5.16, I just read it. We regard no one according to the flesh. That is, both Christian or non-Christian. The flesh doesn't matter because ultimately what Christ cares about is where our soul is going to dwell forever. Is our soul or spirit or heart, depending on what word you use from the scripture, is it right with God? Is it right with God? Has it been transformed by the power of Jesus, by the power of His Spirit in our life? If we haven't been transformed, then our soul is spiritually dead. So we're looking spiritually at a person and we understand, well, this person, whether they have a job or not, whether they're educated or not, where are they spiritually going? Are they reconciled to God? Which is what the rest of this 2 Corinthians 5 passage goes on to speak about. What's important for us as Christians is really not what the person's wearing or what they do or where they're from or any of those things, but rather where are they spiritually? Do they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord? As we unpack this passage, we're going to look at two things we don't really understand very well because it's not a major part of our culture as it was back when this letter was written. Masters and slaves. And pretty much the summary of the passage is that it doesn't matter if you were a slave or a master, God doesn't really care, you're under his authority. Do you call Jesus Lord is the question. If you are a boss, if you are a master, if you have people under you, do you recognize that Jesus is your Lord? And if you are a slave, if you are the lowest of all society, do you recognize that Jesus is your Lord? We don't regard people to the flesh anymore. We want this question answered. So when we meet people, how do we get to the heart of the person? How do we understand them spiritually rather than from the flesh? What questions could we be asking that lead us to a place where we know, yes, they recognize Jesus as Lord, or no, they don't? Because that's ultimately what we need to know. Are they reconciled to God? So as we come through this passage and we unpack once again this view of submission and how we are all under submission, we start to look at this idea that it doesn't really matter where we sit in society. It doesn't matter what our earthly status is. It matters whether we recognize Christ as Lord. So we start in verse 5 of chapter 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now I keep reminding us to go back to chapters 4 and 5 and 1 to 3 in this letter of Ephesians because we can't understand any of these passages without going back. It's a good principle for us whenever we're reading the scriptures. If we've just opened our Bible to a random spot, we need to make sure we're reading the context around it to really understand what it's saying. And of course, what Paul has been saying is that because you have been saved and transformed by Christ, because you have been born again, that's spiritually born again, you were dead to God, now you are alive and you recognize God as God, and you hate your sin, because of these things, your lifestyle will change. And the word that Paul uses most is your walk will change. The way you walk. So he says... Be imitators of God, walk in love, walk in wisdom, look carefully at how we walk. 
A Christian is someone who constantly examines their life, day in, day out. Am I walking in a way that is honouring to God? Am I walking in a way that is upholding the standard of holiness that Jesus has brought me to? What areas do I need to repent of? What areas do I need correction in? And we ask these questions of ourselves. Now he stated in chapter 5, verse 21, that a part of walking, uh, walking worthy of our calling, or walking worthy of his life that Jesus has brought us into, is that we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We submit. We don't like that word submit. I've been through this over the last three weeks. We don't like submitting because we're full of ourselves. So we're happy to listen to ourselves, but we're not happy to really listen to one another. Now, there were specific cases, husbands and wives, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, we saw that uh, two weeks ago, and children to parents. So in the family unit, God had a specific design in which submission works and is beautiful. But all in the church, every aspect of the church, is that we are humble servants, and therefore willingly listen to one another. If a brother or sister comes up to correct us, we want to listen to that correction and test it by scripture to make sure it's biblical. But we are humble enough to listen to one another, to allow them to speak into our lives. Now we get to this section, which is about our work life. We've gone from family to our work life. How does submission work in the work life? Our day-to-day living of being a born-again Christian, of following Jesus in the day-to-day routines of our life whether that's work or whatever else we do. And we get this incredible passage that says bond servants. Maybe your translation, if you've read other translations, says slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere hearts, as with the Lord. It's, it's almost crazy, and we should ask the question first, why is Paul, or rather Jesus, because this is Jesus' word, it's the inspired word of God, not why is he okay with slavery? Why does he give a recommendation of how slavery should work? Slaves obey masters, masters treat, treat your slaves well, rather than overthrowing slavery. Shouldn't this, shouldn't this actually say, uh, slaves, you're free to go, masters, let your slaves go? Isn't that the Christian attitude towards slavery and, 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 and uh, the, the slavery that we see today? Well, yes. That is the biblical position, and we see that in the Old Testament. We see that later on in 1 Timothy 10. Uh, there's no such thing as 1 Timothy 10. 1 Timothy 1 10. Uh, we see that there, but we need to understand the cultural background of the Greek and Roman Empire and, and what's going on there. So, what we see in this time, 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, a Roman province, is that there were about 60 million slaves at that time. 60 million slaves. And Ephesus itself had one third of the population of this city uh, were slaves. One third. It's a significant number of slaves back in those days. Now, when we look at slavery, slave, slavery today is often due to uh, race or class. And that's pretty much what we've seen throughout modern history. Back then, when we look at slaves, uh, it wasn't actually about race or class. It wasn't just a, a laborer's a laborer's job of hard work on the on the, the, the fields or the vineyards. 
but rather uh, slavery was a form of work, of paying off debts. So some slaves were actually highly educated and they ran the business for their masters. Some slaves were working to earn their freedom off because they were caught, uh, it, uh, they were caught in captivity. Um, they, some slaves uh, voluntarily put themselves into slavery because they knew it would lead to a better life. Some of them just had better lives in slavery. Now, of course, in the midst of all this slavery, there was the uh, evil kind, the whipping and the abuse of slaves, which Paul is not okay with. And we see that, like I said, in 1 Timothy 1.10, when he lists all these sins, uh, and one of them is in slaves. He states that very clearly. So what we see is that slavery back then was almost a way of life. There were aspects of it that were evil, but there were areas of it that were actually good and healthy. People wanted to pay off their debts, so they went into slavery. They went to work for a master. Slave is, is really a hard word. Bond servant, we see it translated here, is probably a nicer meaning word that we understand a bit differently. But what Paul is trying to do here, and I think this is really important because we can get really caught up as Christians in fighting for justice, which we want to do. God is a God of justice. He loves justice. He wants to set the captives free and to look after the widow and the fatherless. That is what he is identified with in the Old Testament. The God of the fatherless, the widow, and the, um, the sojourner. And we see that over and over again. So why does Paul give instructions to bond servants to obey their earthly masters and masters to not treat them in a uh, threatening way. Why does he do this? Well, Paul is actually pretty bright and, and Jesus is the one who inspired him to write this through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we believe this is the Word of God. And, and what we understand about the Christian culture is that Paul was not trying to write a document about changing social structures. That's not why he was writing this. He's not saying, okay, this is how we break down slavery, this is how we're going to fight for justice here and there. No, he's writing to a church to say that once the gospel has taken root in your life, your lives will change. Whether you're a father, whether you're a mother, whether you're a single, whether you're a husband, wife, children, parent, or a slave or a master, your life will change, your heart will change, the way you live will change. So Paul's attitude, or rather Jesus' attitude in inspiring this word, is that as we preach the gospel, and our model to break down slavery is that preach the gospel to the world, and as people grasp hold of the gospel, their lives change and their motivations change. Therefore, a master will no longer be abusive to their slaves, and a slave will see that it is a blessing to have work in a safe place. There are some slaves throughout history which I would say shouldn't have been slaves under Christian men and women throughout America's history who had a far better life being a slave than if they were free to roam the streets in that time period of culture. So what we need to understand is Paul here is not writing a document to overthrow slavery, but rather to say, hey, the gospel will overthrow slavery as we know it. When a slave driver is transformed by the power of the gospel, 
he will change the way he treats his slaves. He will either stop it completely or give them a place and a, a life that is better than what they would have if they were out of their home. It's incredible, right? So Paul's attitude here is that what we need to see is the gospel go forth. What we want to see in, in slavery is the gospel go forth. And it will break down the chains of slavery. It will change the culture of what that looks like. So you can imagine in this church of Ephesus, Paul writing to them, and, and in that church they would have masters and slaves sitting next to each other, worshipping the same God, and being okay with that. And I'm sure they had some tension and some bites, but at times they would have had to reconcile and work through that, and be like, uh, he treated me harshly, and the master would have had to repent, or the slave was lazy and wasn't working, and he would have had to repent. But they were there together, worshipping the same Lord, the same Saviour. So what's Paul's counsel? Paul's counsel is bondservants. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, where else do we see that? We see it in refer to Christ. Fear the Lord, the great wisdom literature of the Bible. Uh, Proverbs, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, all states the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You want to understand anything uh, about Scripture? It's about coming before God and saying, God, you're bigger than me, you're more powerful than me, you're holier than me, and I'm just going to tremble and sit down here low. It's, it's coming to God and saying, like John the Baptist, I must decrease, decrease, and Jesus must increase. That is what the fear of the Lord means. And, and now Paul is saying, bond servants, obey your masters with fear and tremble. With a sincere heart. And here's the, the main line. As you would Christ. As you would Christ. We should have a humble, servant-like attitude to those who have authority over us. To those who have authority over us in our life, whether it be the government, whether it be our bosses, whether it be uh, whoever else you have to submit to, the police, we should fear and tremble before them as we do before Christ. We should trust, as Romans 13 tells us, that God is the one who has placed them there to punish evil and to praise good. Otherwise we go against the Scriptures. Trust in the Lord knowing that he has orchestrated and designed this world and he is bringing it to a fulfilled place that we don't know about. We know that it's going to happen. We know it's going to be better. But all this is part of God's plan and design, bringing it to a place of newness and wholeness. So he says, for those who are above you, respect them. Be in trouble for them. Respect their power. Christ has placed them there. And if you struggle to do that, picture that it's Christ. Imagine that it's Christ. And submit to them as if they are Christ. You guys want to give some practical applications. Now, we're going to focus heavily on the attitude of work because really what we see in the bondservant and master is an employee and an employer. We don't call our bosses master, but they have authority over us, and we should submit to them because the scriptures 
encourage us and well, encourage us to do in our new life. So verse 6 goes on to say, not as a way of eye service. So don't obey our masters in a way that is just for them to see that we are good workers, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service for the good will as to the Lord and not to men. So, so Paul, in his writing, is focusing the new believer not on their current situation and who is in charge of them, but rather Christ. Focus on Christ. Whatever work you do, whatever place you're in, focus on Jesus as the one who is in charge of you. As the one who you are a bondservant of, connected to, chained to, so to speak. Don't think of your position in your job as being enslaved to men, but think of it as an opportunity to serve the Lord, to serve Jesus. Your boss, your current boss at the moment, in whatever job you're doing, in whatever service you're in, is not human, but is God Himself, is Christ, the resurrected King. So when we go to work, let us not work only when the people are only when the, the ones that matter are watching us. Let us not work only when we're up for a promotion, but every day turning up as if Christ Himself was standing over our shoulder watching the work that we have done. Because ultimately, no matter what job you're in, you're working for Jesus. I love this image that Martin Luther in the 1500s uh, said. As you pray the Lord's Prayer, which we sung in song just before, there's that line that says, uh, Give us today our daily bread. But how often do we think about where that bread comes from? Through the hardworking farmers that grow the wheat? through the transporters that bring it to the shops and through the retail workers that sack the shelves and sell it. It doesn't just appear, does it? It's not like we're Israel in the wilderness where it just falls from heaven. What we see in even just the simple prayer of the Lord's Prayer as we say, give us our daily bread, it brings us to a place to meditate on all the people who had to work and make sure that was provided so that we can eat the bread that has been put on the shelves in the shops. So as we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we ask God for things in our life, it reminds us that our work is actually contributing to God's work. God is the ultimate provider of the bread, but we have a play in that in our role in life, or whatever it may be. Whatever your job is, whatever your role is in this world, it's not worthless. It's not worthless. Your job is not a waste of time. It's actually contributing to the society that God has. And ultimately, God will use that somehow to bring about His plan and purpose. When he reveals himself to this world or he reveals their sin to them and they bow down and worship. We need doctors, teachers, tradesmen, retail workers, baristas. They contribute to the world that God has created. 
Our jobs are not a waste of time. They have a plan and a purpose for, for God's good creation, to provide for us as his people and as his children. So it's not God's plan for every believer to go into preaching or Christian education or missionary services or other Christian roles or Christian church-related ministries. Those ministries also aren't more spiritual than any other job in which you carry out in your normal life. In fact, we will often not call someone a ministry until they have been faithful elsewhere. Faithful in doing the small things. Faithful in an apprenticeship, faithful in their study. It's often that God wants to see us faithful in those boring, mundane jobs of life in order for us to give us more to know that we are going to be faithful with the small in order to have the big. So as we look at our job, as we think about God's good design, we see that God created us for work. It's interesting, we're speaking about the Sabbath. We, were, we are to work hard for six days, as he worked hard for six days in the creation of the world, and then rest for one. Be filled back with energy, lifted up, ready to go again, to go out there and serve as serving the Lord in whatever role we play. There's three points we want to think about as we go to our role, whatever it may be in our life, to work through Christ, to work like Christ, and to work for Christ. To work through Christ is to understand that we have been given power by the Holy Spirit to do our daily jobs. How often do you look through the scriptures before you go out to be a mother, a stay-at-home mother, which is a hard job, a retail worker, a doctor, a teacher, whatever it is you do, how often do you sit and meditate on who you have been created to be by by Christ? through his death and resurrection. As we meditate on chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, do you sit there and remind yourself that before you go to your daily activity, I am an adopted child of God. My inheritance is not here, but it's in heaven. And I've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to go forth and work in whatever I'm doing today. How often do we sit there and and pray and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can teach with all my might or raise my children with all my might or be a doctor or a teacher or a laborer or whatever it is your role is. To do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it. We need Holy Spirit-empowered workers How often do we pray and say, Lord, use me in this context as a missionary, that I may preach the gospel, which is only one aspect of a a way we can glorify God in our workplace. Doing our work to the best of our ability is also glorifying Him. But being there among people who we may never have access to, that you have access to day in and day out, Work through Christ. Work like Christ. Look at the story of Christ's ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell us of three years of Jesus' life. Some of them go back and tell us about his birth. 
A very little bit about his childhood at 12 years old. What was Jesus doing before all that time? To work, work like Christ is to be okay with a hard, nothing job. He was like a stonemason, carpenter we call it, but he actually worked with stone probably pretty often, uh, pretty regularly. Stone and wood in a nothing town of Nazareth. Obeying his father, who was a sinner, who was probably the one who taught him his trade, we assume that Joseph died pretty young because we don't hear of him again. So maybe he works for other people. Never did he once complain, lie about his hours, take shortcuts with his work. How often do we overlook the fact that for 30 years Jesus just lived an ordinary life without the miracles taking place, just an ordinary life under the same temptations we experience, experience in our workplace or our daily life. Work like Christ. Be okay with the small things and the slow things. He never got frustrated that his timing wasn't right. He just submitted to the Father and knew that at the right time, his public ministry would start and he would make his way to Jerusalem to the cross. Patience in our mundane, everyday, ordinary work. And to work for Christ. Everything we do is for Christ. And I love what John Stott, a preacher, said once he said this. It is, it is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were eating it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were the honoured guest. It is possible for the teachers to educate children, the doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, the shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to order books and secretaries to type letters, as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what this passage is teaching us. As to the Lord, all of what we do, as to the Lord, the household chores, the mowing of lawn, the cleaning of the home, do it as to the Lord. Each day, waking up and saying, Lord, I go to work for you today, empower me to do this for your glory, your name's sake. Whether I get recognized or not, whether anyone sees me or not, you see me. Love Paul's line in Philippians 1, whether in life or death, my aim is that Christ would be magnified in my body. Life or death, work of pay or volunteer work, homework, chores, that Christ would be magnified. People would see something different in those who have been created in Christ. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever any good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. What matters to you most? Being noticed, praised, recognized, success? No, in my heart these things plague me at times, and I 
think through them and, 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 and worry that no one saw that good thing that I just did. But Christ here reminds us that our treasure is in heaven. Knowing that whatever good is done, he will receive it back from the Lord. Our good doesn't come in this life. We don't believe in a prosperity gospel that says if we just follow Jesus, he blesses us with material possessions and wealth and success and all these good things. In fact, the follower of Jesus is pretty much bound for suffering. You see it in all the letters. Do not be surprised, my brothers, when sufferings of many, many kinds come your way. You see that in James. So rather... In our place, whether we're promoted or demoted, we do good work knowing that we'll receive back from Christ. The crown of righteousness that Christ will give to us on that day, Christ himself will give to us on that day. For those who love his appearance, it says in Timothy. So what we see from this this section, this, this verse, whether he is a bondservant or is free, it doesn't matter what our title is, it doesn't matter what our status is on this earth, what really matters is faithfulness. It doesn't matter if we see fruit in our workplace, it doesn't matter if we uh, succeed in all our tasks and become the best person there, what matters is that we are faithful in whatever status we've been given and whatever role we're in. Will we be okay? And will we continue faithfully when things don't work out the way we planned? When pandemics happen, maybe. And all our plans are thrown out the door. When we see no converts in our ministry or our workplace, when we never even get a pay rise, Will we continue faithful? Earlier Paul has said in the word that our time is short and we're in evil days, or the days are evil. Whether we're a bondservant, whether we're free from anything, any debt or any master, are we faithful with what we've got right now? You know, maybe one day the Lord will just blow your workplace up. And what I mean by blow it up, make it big. You become really successful. You become the boss. You get promoted all the way to CEO. Maybe one day your bank account just suddenly, suddenly explodes and you have all this money coming out. Maybe one day the ministry turns into a huge successful ministry. That's up to God if he does that. That's God's grace on someone. But are you going to be faithful with it while it's small? And then will you be faithful when it has blown up? When everything is amazing and you have all this stuff, will you still be faithful though? Doing good no matter whether anyone sees or not. Doing good because we know that our treasure is not here on earth, but rather in heaven. Faithfulness is what matters. Not fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is not the measure of success. Paul tells us in Philippians, just the next letter along, that people can go out and preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, 
And they make, people may come to faith, but it's not because of them, it's in spite of them. Just because something looks good and this person seems to be really fruitful in their life doesn't mean they're successful. That's not our measure of success. Our measure of success is faithfulness. Will we endure to the end, whether rich or poor, whether slave or free? Will we endure to the end? Whether we have heaps or have nothing at all. Verse 9 switches it and goes to the masters, and it's almost like, is this a little unfair because it's only one verse to the masters? So let's read it. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. There's this line, this little phrase, do the same to them. Paul, in his writing, is about to just say, Masters, you should do exactly the same. So when we read through what it says to servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with sincere heart, he's saying you should do the same, Masters. Submit to them as well. Respect them. Work or lead through Christ. Lead like Christ and lead for Christ. Just as the servant ought to be working with Christ as his Lord and being faithful with Christ as his Lord, so the master should do all the same things. He's, he's equalizing them. saying, you're no different. You're no different because you both have the same master who's in heaven and it's Jesus. So whether you are super successful or super poor, whether you are the master or the slave, God doesn't care. He wants you to be faithful to him. He wants you to submit to him. And it says he shows no partiality. That's favoritism. He doesn't treat people differently because of their status on earth. We see that in, in Luke's Gospel. I love the picture of Luke's Gospel. If you've read it and, and thought about it, look at the people Jesus goes to. A woman, a man, a rich man, a rich woman, a poor man, a poor woman, a healthy man, a poor, uh, uh, a sick man. Swapping back and forth. Children, adults. Rejected or embraced by society. Pharisee or outcast. Over and over again, Luke, we see in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus going to different people from different statuses, with different backgrounds. Jesus is for all people. He shows no favoritism. No favoritism. He doesn't care what your status is on him. What he cares about is do you call him Lord? Do you worship him? You bow your knee to him. And are you faithful to the very end? Let me pray. faithful to you. You have given us so much. Your grace is 
just astounding. You would call us from different lives. Maybe our, our flesh focuses on different sins. But Lord, ultimately we all committed the same sin and it's turning from you as our Lord we call it idolatry. But Lord, you've brought us back through Christ's death and resurrection. You've worn the penalty of sin and now, Lord, we have a new life and we can walk in a different way. And Lord, through the mundane areas of life, through the ongoing work that we have to do and that you have called us to, that you created us for, Lord, we can now do in the power of your Spirit. And Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we may set an example of what it looks like to be faithful workers in the midst of an evil world, waiting for the day when our true Master returns and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever our role is, whatever our status is, whatever our bank account says, Lord, know that we have, that you see us all. You see us all as the same. Children, children of you, expand our mind to comprehend heaven and the treasures that we have in heaven. Let our lives be lived with our mind in heaven and our feet on earth until the day that we embrace it and take it in its fullness. Let us serve you, Lord, as our only master. Rather, Lord, let us see all our masters on earth as if we're just serving them. When they're harsh and rude, when they're brutal and unfair, let's not worry about what they're doing. Let's see our work is done for you and your Lord. Make us faithful, faithful to the very end, that we may endure all things for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name.